Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 144. Gross. Recorded May 18th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. We have reached our one dozen dozen shows. We have a gross of shows now, episode 144. And because uh, the show is so gross, I, I got nothing. Uh, Chris isn't here with us this week. He um, is traveling, and his his uh, trip has taken him a little longer, or maybe they got later a later start than they planned. But anyway, he was going to be here, but he's not. Uh, so it's just me, your 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 friend, uh, Mark, and of course, uh, our, the good friend to us all, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Element OP Faithful, near and far. Glad you could join us tonight for a, a rousing episode. Uh, you know, not- rousing, carousing, uh, whatever. So, um, I'll get into what what I'm gonna, what we're going to talk about a little later. Because just be prepared. This is going to be uh, perhaps an even more disjointed show than normal. I I have an I have something running around in my head, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it's going to come together as a show, or even if it should be a topic. But again, because uh, uh, um. Because Seth, because uh, Chris isn't with us, and it's just the two of us, and because we had a more than two-hour show last week, I want to try to make this, you know, uh, a, a shorter show. Um, and so it's just, it's I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. So the uh, the professionalism that you've come to expect, which let's be honest, isn't a lot, will be even lower tonight. Well, and let's face it, there was so much Linux last week. I mean, you know, we got to take it down a bar. And so we'll be talking lots of technology and web 2.0 and other buzzword worthy stuff, but not so much Linux per se. Yeah. We had a, uh, I'm trying to, I, I don't remember if it was an email or a Google plus post. I think it was Google plus post. Cause they all came, they all come sort of at the, the same place. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. It was a, an email that he sent to us. Uh, basically the, the guy said, I miss the, the 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 emphasis on Linux that you used to have, and I thought, did we? I mean, I, I guess we did, kind of, before. I mean, yeah, you know, we would do, we did more distro reviews and yeah. stuff before. We, we should maybe, but, you know, that's the thing. How do you review a distro? It installs, it has a desktop, that's it. I yeah. can go to email, so distro review done, they're all the same. That's That's uh, kind of what I was thinking about. You know the direction of the show. We, uh, uh, you coined the phrase "life in the context of Linux," right? But it was, uh, it's not uh, a decision that we made. It's just the way things have ended up being. At, at some point, you've matured. Um, you know, Linux is a is a stable, mature desktop environment, and it and we're just comparing, you know, nuances, and it becomes what we like and what we don't like. Right, I don't like this file manager. Of course, apt get install gets another one there, or or RPM, uh, which, whichever you do. So it's it, it just sort of have is has evolved over time to, um, we don't want to go hardcore geek and talk about you know compiling kernels and things like that. That that's never going to be the focus of this show. Because I mean, let's face it, at least in my opinion, the ones that are that way. I mean, they're really pretty boring and dry. I mean, you know, whenever a segment of your show is like kernel news and so you're talking about 
kernel developments, that doesn't really appeal to me. Right. I'm more a computer user and overall technician. I'm not a kernel level programmer. And I, you know, I don't know if the mini kernel level programmers would actually be able to stomach our episode, our shows, but, uh, right. And, and we couldn't do something we're not interested in. Right. So that, that's, that's why this show has become stuff we're interested in. Linux is in the list of stuff we're interested in, but it's not, um, I, I just don't think we're ever going to be the hardcore Linux show. And that's fine. We're the everyday Linux show, but, uh, have no fear. Uh, I don't remember if I said his name uh, or not. Jeff have no fear, Jeff. There, there, there will always be a touch on Linux, but you know, we, we're probably never going to be your only source for all things Linux. And, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Me too. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was reading, no, listening to a podcast recently. I, I don't remember what it was, but it, it was essentially, um, the, you know what? I'm just going to stop that. The, in the, in the guise of, of, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I'm just going to stop that line of thought right here, and I'm just going to go, and I'm going to say, Go Zero! Yes. Um, I went and saw Godzilla Thursday night. I went to an early showing because, you know, I, I'm an old man now. Uh, oh, and that brings up, I had the best Facebook post ever. I don't know why. I've never seen it before, but I am now the answer to life, the universe, and everything. I, uh, I'm 42. For those of you who don't yes. know, uh, my goal is I'm, I'm going to read that series of books this year. I've never read it. Oh, really? Uh, I, yes. I, I just, I'm familiar with wow. it from all of the talk around the reckless abode. Um, so, uh, but I, I think I, and it's something I think I would enjoy. So I'm going to read them during my 42nd year. Uh, but yeah, so I went and saw Godzilla, the new one. Uh, and it was, it was really cool. Godzilla, he, I mean, you know, it, it's not a guy in a rubber suit, uh, doing funny WWE moves. He's a monster on a rampage and, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, there's other monsters involved and I think they did a good job with the monsters and the explanations for why they're there. Um, so is this couple places, like, like the original? 50s uh japanese movies monsters were just a part of the landscape they they there weren't lore they didn't discuss them they were just there there was monster island there was mothra there was it was just part of the universe is that how it is here or or is this an origin story of how we first discovered monsters well um they say that um the test at bikini atoll yeah they were basically they were trying to kill Godzilla. You ah. see this little grainy black and white. You don't see Godzilla, but you see like his fins out of the water. Um, and so that was, uh, that was the purpose of the nuclear tests, um, uh, in, uh, in the Pacific, you know, in the fifties. So, uh, but other, you know, I, they did a good job. A couple places where I would have went different, uh, storyline, but overall it was really good. My one, the one detraction is to me, they told the story of people and how Godzilla affected the lives of people rather than Godzilla and how people observed him. So, you know, it, but uh, it was really good. They did a great job with the monsters and the monsters fighting were awesome and it looked really, really good. Um, 
but you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, Pacific Rim was monsters versus robots and just enough plot to tie it together. Um, they, I would have liked a, just a hair less plot and a little bit more monster, <laughs> but, but not bad, not bad. Definitely worth seeing. The previews make it out to be a survival story. It's like it, it again, just from the previews, I haven't seen it yet, but it looks like, um, it could have been a, a hurricane or an earthquake or any other survival story. It just, in this case, happens to be a monster. Is that an accurate, accurate representation? Yeah, pretty accurate. Um, I, I don't want to give some stuff away, but, but yeah, yeah that, that's pretty accurate. Okay. Um, I, uh, ha- have, am looking forward perhaps more than I should to the new X-Men movie. Uh, every preview I see, makes it look even more appealing to me. Um I've I've been an X-Men fan since uh the 80s, you know, since I was a kid, since uh, Wolverine wore yellow spandex. Uh and uh in anticipation of it, my wife and I went back and watched X-Men First Class again. Um she had never seen it, and so I I figured she probably needed that bit of of lore to to be able to move forward with this new one based on the previous. And right. I was surprised at how well it held up. I mean, when I initially saw it, I didn't think it was a very good movie. On subsequent viewings, uh, viewing just one, I, I really thought it was it was better than I had initially given it credit for. So I'm excited about the continuation and the expansion of that story. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it will be really cool. Um, you know, if they would just, if somehow they could go back in time and erase Last Stand. Uh, X-Men would be so much better. Uh, I don't know, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and what they did to the much beloved Deadpool, if, if they could just remove that story arc, that would be better too. Yeah. Deadpool. I mean, if he's not talking, he's not Deadpool. I was, I was psyched when Ryan Reynolds was playing Deadpool because I mean, come on, he was the perfect guy to just, you know, that wit and that nonstop banter, but then he's mute. And I'm like, what? That's not Deadpool. That's, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So anyway, there's, there's a movie talk. I, just while we're on the subject, uh, one of my favorites is uh dodgeball, you know, classic campy movie. You can dodge yes. a wrench, you can dodge a ball. So my wife, knowing that about me for some gift giving occasion a while back bought me uh dodgeball on dvd it was like in the five dollar bin you know those are my right. favorites when you can get a great movie for no money um and in the in the pack it was a 2 dv pack the other one was the rocker with uh rain wilson from the office um and i i had never heard of it i i never even watched it uh and you know as i mentioned recently i'm having to re-rip all my dvd collection so when i got to dodgeball that one was in there. I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and rip it too. And so my wife and I watched it last night. It's really a funny movie. I really enjoyed it. Totally surprised me. Uh, I don't know if it's on Netflix or not, but just a recommendation out there. It's um, the basic premise is a guy um, is with a, an '80s hair metal band, and the night the they get signed, right? They're gonna go uh, go to the big times, and they end up being a multi platinum selling album. The the label says the the one condition of you signing is you got to get rid of your drummer because the director or whatever wants uh, wants his nephew in the band. So they kick the drummer out. So now he lives the next twenty years watching these guys who dumped him rise to stardom and live the life he wanted to live. 
and he gets bitter and angry in the way that that only rain wilson front can uh can portray and then he he's asked to play a, a high school prom gig with his nephew's band and it goes from there and so that's the i just described like the first seven minutes of the movie and the rest of it is him with the the, the high school band and it's way better than i expected so just a little recommendation there it's um it's almost in the bad movie category but it's not bad enough to laugh at because it's bad it's got enough goodness to actually be enjoyable hmm. i will i will keep my eye out for that one i've i've never heard of it either but it's got emma stone in it and you can't go wrong with that nope um and as i was reading what so <laughs> I, I've raved about it so much. The XBMC is my media center. I was looking at it, and and some of the metadata that it pulls down is the cast, and you can. And so we we read the plot, and I'm like, oh, all right, maybe. Then I started looking at the cast, and I was like, I know that name. I know that name. Oh, that I like that person. Oh, I, I like. That. So that was what made me decide to watch it. So the rocker. That's uh, the, uh, the the picture of it is him in his underwear holding a pair of drumsticks. Um, if you see it on online or whatever so anyway check it out that's my recommendation um we had some listener feedback this week i'm going to skip it all we don't have have any of that and you'll see why as we go a little later on so we're going to jump straight into some news but first we got to follow up on on some old news um the i can't even remember the the company created their own special fcc slow lane well now you yourself can do the same thing Yes, um, and it's just um, a cold... Uh, GeoCities, that was it. Yes. You know, they made a thing where if you're coming from an FCC address, they they bottleneck their front page to like 28.8. And so somebody did a GitHub and put code online where you can make your web page throttle to a slow speed because, you know, the fast lane proposal... Um, is it's bad news for the internet. It's just a way for companies to make more money and make you pay two times in addition to making the companies providing bandwidth pay two times. So it's a way for them to quadruple their income stream. Right. Um, and it, it, you know, the only person that gets screwed is the, uh, is the consumer, uh, the American citizen that the government is supposed to be watching out for, but because the American citizenry doesn't care enough to hold their government accountable, you know, we let the corporations buy them. And anyway, that will continue that on, uh, everyday politics next week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, there's a thing now where you can throttle your, your website and, you know, probably wouldn't do the whole thing, just the front page. Um, and it's well, out you there. You can find it on GitHub. What I think should happen and probably will i'm 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 certainly not the smartest guy on the internet somebody else is gonna uh have already proposed this you know we did the the blackout uh thing for sopa and pippa and websites went black um right i think we should have a slowdown day uh where where you know large chunks of the internet agree to slow themselves down and say this is what life could be like if we don't stop this and those are the kind of things that are going to get people's attention and i i think i think we should do that i think we should pick a day um you know maybe uh independence day would be a good day for that july 4th um everybody goes to 28 8 speeds and and you see you see what the world would be like uh if the if the uh quote-unquote fast lane uh, becomes a reality right and you know and just to give the FCC, you know, because they actually said it, um, FCC chairman Tom Wheeler says his proposal won't actually allow slow lanes. 
Internet service providers would be able to change web services for faster access to customers under his plan, but non-priority content would travel at the same speed as it does today, he argues. Well, you know, even if that is true, has more and more things use more and more data competing for this same speed the net effect is it would slow it down right so what what they're going to say is you can't you can't intentionally slow down people who can't pay right so that'll be the law but the reality will be my default bandwidth is nowhere near enough to handle the number of customers i have if i'm if i'm netflix um and well that netflix is a bad example if i'm uh if i'm comcast uh i'm gonna say that my default bandwidth is now 1.5 megabits. So that's what you buy. That's if you buy a, a, a hosting package from Comcast, you get 1.5 megabits, which is fine if you got no more than two people uh, or three browsing your your web. So right. naturally, if you want in, increased enhanced performance, well, we have a package for that too. So yes, you won't be able to su- to intentionally slow down, but there's no reason to say you can't le- alter your level of service for load balancing and and quality uh, measurement purposes. Well, and also, you know, what will end up happening is just to kind of give a physical example. Everybody will have copper to their house, but certain people can pay for fiber to their house. And so, you know, the people going through fiber get to the edge of their ISP faster, congesting their service. So it's just, it's not good. It's a lose-lose situation for the uh, consumers out there. So I think this is pretty cool. I mean, I don't have a website, so you know it won't really affect me. But uh, it, it's just bad news, and 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 the thing, the the sad fact of the matter is, because it's not affecting people right now, nobody cares, right? Um, and in a, in a, in an attempt to be a little proactive about things that nobody cares about because it doesn't affect anyone just yet, the UN. Um, decides to weigh in on Skynet. Yes. Um, on Tuesday, the uh, UN discussed international laws to govern or simply ban the use of killer robots. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can have a serious conversation about something when that's the lead in. But so the UN, they're, they're not waiting for the killer robots to come out to declare them illegal. They are preemptively striking and saying no to killer robots. Um, we'll ban them. No killer robots allowed. So, you know, so much for James Cameron and the whole Terminator universe. Yeah. You know, that's an alternate timeline now. Well, you know, I mentioned uh, last week that I was going to start reading uh, Jack Campbell's Lost Fleet series. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I finished book one, and I'm salivating. I just got my Amazon credit tonight. I'll, so tomorrow I'll start uh, book two. Really good reads, by the way. Uh, the relatively short books, uh, but there's there's really good writing in it. But I, what I think is interesting is, uh, you know, this sets – this takes place a minimum of a hundred years in the future, probably two or three hundred. Oh, um, longer know. than that, much yeah, longer. Because, because uh, at the very minimum, it's a hundred years in the future, but it's really way more than that. So, um, uh, one of the discussions subplots, and it may become a primary plot later on, but one of the subplots in the first book is um, uh, weaponized AIs. Uh, and and I thought he put it really well. the The central problem problem is if you can trust. Uh, 
an AI to make a decision to kill somebody, you can't trust that AI to make a decision to kill somebody. And if you can't trust that that AI, if you if you don't trust it that kind of power, you can't put weapons in its hands. So if you if you achieve something so smart that you trust it to kill, then you should never do that because it might decide to kill you. Right. And if you get something too dumb to make that decision, you can't put weapons in its hands. So this these are the things that the the building blocks of those things where you know we have we have radio controlled drones and we have drones that can fire weapons but currently those two sets of logic are completely separated. And uh somebody is going to design something that can autonomously kill uh, if they haven't already. Um and we're going to have to deal with that sort of thing. What happens when I mean with humans? Uh, humans right now have the autonomous ability to kill in combat. Right. And they and they make poor decisions and they're court martialed and and people die. You know, when a machine makes that decision with with something that can kill much more efficiently than a human, that that's a problem. So yeah, I, I applaud the UN for at least considering these sort of things, but the UN has no actual power. They don't really mean anything and none of them are educated enough on the 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 programming and logic basis of this to actually make a decision, but nice try you in. Right. And one thing about the lost fleet series, I would wait a little bit of time between books, Mark, because starting in the second book, when they reference events in previous books, you get like a little synopsis of it. So, um, you know, when I read them over three days, repetitive, it was very, especially by the sixth book, you know, it's like, I read that, I read that, I read, that. I just read yeah. this like three hours ago. So, you know, I would wait, like do one a week or something, give yourself a little bit of time. Well, uh, I, I felt that uh, about the Ender's Game series too, because he wanted each book to stand alone so that right. you could pick up each one. But if you had read the whole series, if you're on book four of the, of the Ender series um, and you've read all three books, large chunks of books book four are are repet, repetition that you don't need right um but you know if you had been buying them when they came out right like, years apart like there's a follow-up series to the lost fleet it's kind of the continuation of the story and you know it was like a year before the first one came out after i read them so i appreciated the uh re 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 the synopsis of the events because it had been a year and then it was like another year for the second one to come out. And so again, it, it worked out well because it's like, Oh yeah, I, I remember that now. So, but yeah, when you read them all back to back to back, it's not, you know, it, it can get a little repetitive. All right. That, that was a little aside there. This is going to be a sci-fi heavy <laughs> episode from the sounds of it. Um, um, that one of my favorite internet projects that's been around for years and that I used in production for years has finally reached the milestone 1.0. Yes, I uh, I put this in here, Mark, just because of you. The Fog Project, which is a free computer cloning solution in no way infringing upon the name Ghosts, it is, <laughs> has, uh, they are announcing the release of version 1.0. It is primarily a way to, uh, clone and cat and, uh, remotely image across the network Windows machines. Um, and it uses like an Ubuntu server, I believe, but they are at version 1.0. It was released on May the 13th. So congratulations, Fog, and happy birthday. If you 
run an enterprise, you need fog. This is not a topic of debate. Go get it now. Definitely. Um, here's another thing that may or may not be a topic of debate. The Chinese government says, hey, you know those billions of copies of illegal uh, XP that we've got running around? We should dump those. And uh, you should go with uh, Ubuntu. Who knew? Yes. Um, they have, by all estimations, the largest install base of windows xp in the world which i mean you know duh they're the largest country in the world and a fraction of them illegal right so uh they are telling the the chinese government is taking the tv to saying get rid of windows xp because you know they've bought the fud uh hook line and sinker that you know we've got to get rid of it and ubuntu um has partnered with china and they're making like a chinese centric um, skin for their, um, distro. And that's kind of what the government is, um, trying to use because every time they've tried to develop an OS, it has not caught on with the Chinese people. So they're trying to let Ubuntu develop one for them. And, you know, we'll see if it, uh, we'll see if it's right. But according to some of the people in China, up to 70% of the computers in the country have Windows XP installed. So. You know, that's a large portion of the internet. And, uh, that's the, here's an interesting question. Is that good or bad for Ubuntu? Let's say they all do that. Let's say a billion Chinese people switch to Ubuntu. Would that be a blessing or a curse? Well, I mean, it, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have, you have that many more eyes and that many more machines pounding on it. Um, so, you know, they would run into more bugs and get more fixes. Um, you know, since they are, um, they've kind of sold out to integrate with Amazon, the, the searching should bring in more money for them. And then there's just the prestige of, Hey, you know, because I mean, let's face it. If, if the country does 70%, uh, if 70% of China used Ubuntu has their, um, OS to get on the internet, it would be the number one in the world. True. I mean, so, you know, and then, you know, it, it would have the largest market share um, of desktop uh, OSs. Um, but and, then, you know, all those people, you know, how often, how many times can you say read the, I, I would have to learn <laughs> to say read the manual in Chinese. Yeah, RTFM. What are the Chinese equivalents of RTFM? <laughs> right. And, and now... Amazingly, we we know that uh, Linux dominates in the server, and, and it could now, if the Chinese, if this recommendation actually takes hold, and, and the Chinese government is one that has the power to do to recommend more forcefully than some right. other governments, um, uh, it could be the the dominant desktop thing here, and uh, turns out. It's not so perfect after all. Something we've said many times on this show, despite the uh, the bravado that Linux is perfect, it ain't. However, the bugs that exist can sometimes take a long time to find. Right. Um, there was a fix uh, for a code execution flaw that has been um, undetected since 2009. Or if it was undetected, it was just... If it was detected, it wasn't detected by the right people. So, um, but they... Um, they found that it's basically uh, kind of like a buffer overflow. It corrupts the memory. 
that it was introduced in a um in a version 2.6 way back in 2009 uh they've now released a proof of concept code and um there's also a fix out for it so you know the great thing about linux is hey there's a problem and here's the fix uh you know there's a problem and here's the fix Hey, there's a fix because there's a problem. Um, you know, whereas with the proprietary systems, a lot of times it takes months working with those companies to get them to acknowledge that there's anything wrong and them to come out with a patch for it because they only have, you know, you know, the Linux community has hundreds of people, at least, if not thousands, who look at the code and can go in and have the ability to see what's wrong and fix it. Whereas you get a company like Microsoft or Apple, they have a much smaller pool to draw from. So, you know, whenever a fix, whenever a bug is found in Windows, you have to go into the code to figure out what allows the bug. And, you know, not everybody in Microsoft has eyes on the code. So it's a lot, it takes a lot longer to um, identify what caused the problem and then how can you fix it without breaking other stuff. Yeah, and this uh, this particular vulnerability uh, is is most dangerous uh, on web servers. It's a classic uh, memory corruption vulnerability that allows you to run um, uh, malicious code. Uh, you have to have an account on the server already. Not not a big hurdle, and then you you have to you know, do things in a particular way. So, you know, that's, that's how it goes five years without being caught. It's just, it's not, it's not easy to do. Um, and you know, Linux is a, a relatively small target, uh, overall, but, uh, you know, it's a, I, I, some people will see this as, uh, Linux is imperfect. Duh. Uh, I see it as, uh, you know, this is the open source community doing things right. As soon as they find out about something, they release a fix. They let people know about it immediately and say, you have to fix this right now. Um, you know, they're not going to sit on something until the after the quarterly earnings report. Right. And, you know, let's face it. Every OS out there, there's a, er, er, every software out there, OS or client or server or anything, it has secure, it has vulnerabilities it has issues and it's it's either dead and forgotten and nobody cares anymore or it's active and being maintained and people update it and refine it and make it better so you know it's it's not linux it's not microsoft it's not apple not knowing how to code it's you know people it's like when people wrote this stuff they didn't think about using it in ways that the community did. And there's just unforeseen things. And, you know, sometimes you accident, you forget to hold shift down and you did semicolon instead of colon, or you forgot to put the parentheses or you let off of shift and you didn't do a parentheses. You did a zero and nobody noticed until, because it doesn't matter unless something weird is thrown at the code. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Um, have you ever, Seth, had a burning desire to run an iOS app on Android? I, I haven't, but now it's possible. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's few things in life I have wanted to do less than run an iOS app on an Android. Um, but yes, now, you know, if you want to run Windows apps um, in Linux, you can use Wine to do that. And, you know, it's much better than it used to be. And most things you can do under Wine that you could do under Windows, you can now do under Linux. Well, somebody thought, hey, 
We've got this, you know, millions of iOS apps. What if we could run those under Android? So they came out with Cider. Um, it's an operating system compatibility architecture that runs applications built for different mobile ecosystems. Um, you know, and of course, the way they talk about it, it's primarily to allow you to run iOS apps on Android, but there's nothing to say that this wouldn't work for, you know, there could be a cider for Windows apps or there could be a cider for, um, WebOS apps. You know, WebOS is kind of come back from the dead with smart TVs. Um, so it's a way to run them under Android. And like so many projects, this is, uh, this is done taking place uh, by college students, uh, asking the question, I wonder if I can do this. Um, and it's the Department of Computer Science at Columbia University has come up with this. Um, and you know, that's, it's cool. I don't know that I find it useful right now, but there are a lot of the internet wasn't useful at first either. Lots of things start their life as not being useful. So we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep an eye on cider. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, there's a lot of apps like, you know, one thing that would be really cool, um, and there might already be, but if there was a way to access the free content, uh, from iTunes University on an Android, um, device, you know, I don't know if there's that out there. I've never looked, but you can go through some really cool courses. And of course, you know, you're not going to get credit at, um, colleges for them, but some colleges, you know, um, they will release a course and you're basically getting the professor's lectures for a semester. Um, you know, there's some classes I've listened to that way. Now, you know, I can't add them to my transcript, but it's kind of cool to listen to the professor lecture to the class. And, uh, you know, that would be an interesting thing. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are other iOS apps. I really, you know, I don't, I don't use my phone much. But uh, in most of the apps I do use, there's already a comparable app for Android as well. All right. And next up, Linux.com uh, releases an admittedly biased report on the outlook of getting a job if you're a Linux guy. Yes. And basically, the market is saying there are Linux jobs out here and we want to hire Linux people but we can't find enough Linux people to hire. So if you know Linux, you can make more money, but the problem is nobody knows Linux. Um, and people who work in Linux, it's not a job, it's their passion. They love it. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I mean, you know, what are they going to say? Uh, don't learn Linux because, you know, you'll be penniless bum on the street. But, you know, from the research I've done online, you know, because... I do research a lot about this looking for good show material and there does seem to be good Linux jobs out there. Um, it kind of makes me wonder why I don't focus more on learning Linux uh, and getting better at it and get a Linux admin job instead of sticking with a windows admin job. But you know, that's what I have. So average number of jobs posted on dice.com Linux is over 11,000 Perl, uh, still over 4,000 Apache, just under three and Hadoop Hadoop. Hadoop. I'm not even, what what is that? That's windows uh, used to be Azure, their cloud services. Okay. So less than 2000 on that. So lots of things want Linux because big iron runs Linux, you know, Linux. And I don't know that Linux dominates the server market, but Linux is a major force in the server market. I think on percentage wise, 
there's more Windows servers, but it's a, uh, it's very comparable and Linux is growing, uh, in the server room because it scales a lot easier okay. and it updates a lot easier. Uh, you know, golly, if you want to run from one version of Windows to another, you really don't want to upgrade a server. You just want to wipe it out and start over and then restore your data, at least in a Windows machine. Before you, you're compiling that email right now. Stop it. Um, I had my wires crossed. Hadoop is not Microsoft. It's not Windows. It's a database um, ah. initially created uh, by Google. Uh, it's a uh, uh, um, a structurally v- uh, variable database platform. Put it that way. It's cool. it's it's one of the growing NoSQLs out there. Uh, according to Linux uh, Linux.com, their own uh, foundation. Again, I, I call these biased because you know the name of the website is Linux.com. They obviously right. have an agenda. Uh, but according to their own research, ninety eight percent of hiring managers plan to hire a Linux Pro within the next six months. Yeah, That's, so uh, that means something. Yes, and you know. Let, let's say that only half of them do that still half the hiring people just under wanting to hire people who know Linux. Right. G Mark, you know, now that we've covered this story about Linux jobs, where should we go in the podcast from here? I would be a really bad podcast host if I didn't jump straight into our ad for linuxacademy.com where you too can learn the skills necessary to get on the radar of 95% of hiring managers who are looking to hire somebody to fill a Linux job. If you're uh, stuck in a, a, a dead-end job with no upside, look, there's clearly an upside to Linux right now. Um, I don't know that that trend is going to continue, but right now, there's a good time to strike while the iron is hard. And you may be saying to yourself that, I don't have time, like Seth just said. I wish I could devote more time to it. Well, our friends over at the Linux Academy have you covered. Their their goal is to take you from being uh, not a novice, but a Linux novice, somebody who uh, understands computer basics but isn't uh, a Linux expert, and make you a Linux expert. In fact, they can take you from, from um, a beginner to certified uh, if you walk through their courses. Uh, they, uh, they offer step-by-step video courses designed to take you from 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 nowhere to somewhere, uh, their goal is to help fill those jobs that 95% of hiring managers, according to Linux.com, are looking for. They do this in the form of, of lessons uh, broken out into uh, courses that are laid out in modules. So you start with, that's the highest structure. You start with a module. A module is a collection of courses. A co- course is a collection of videos. And each one is designed to drive you in the direction you want to go. So you take the module, for example, the LPIC level one module, that's uh, one of the base, the most entry level um, uh, Linux certificates, certifications from uh, the Linux Professional Institute uh, that you they you follow their module. And by the time you're done, when you've done the uh, videos and, and watched the PDF study, uh, read the PDF study guides and taken the practice quizzes and, and even done the practice uh, certification exam, when, when you're done with that, you're ready to go get certified. And they're not just uh, creating content out there on their own. This content has been certified by, uh, by CompTIA and by the Linux Professional Institute as uh, top quality content. Uh, there's a rigorous uh, auditing process that both of these organizations go through. Linux Academy voluntarily submitted themselves to that more than voluntarily. They pay the pay a fee to uh, to be audited, um, and they came out as as uh, the highest rating that you can get. They're top quality content. Um, and so you can get this top quality content uh, 
for you know what what would you expect to pay i feel like a ginsu knife salesman now how much would you pay uh well how about 25 bucks a month um if that's uh if that's too much for you if you buy in blocks if you want to go month to month it's 25 dollars a month if you buy a block of of six months up uh, ahead of time you get for 20 dollars a month if you buy annually you can get it as low as 19 dollars a month but if you're not ready to commit to that if you're not ready to even buy the one month how about a dollar you put your your credit card in or or paypal or however you want to do it uh you give them a dollar you get 14 days to to poke around you look at videos you check out the study guides yeah you, you see what you what you like and what you don't like and if you if you decide it's not for you you cancel and, and nothing happens you're not billed another 25 dollars uh, it's all over uh if you don't cancel it will convert automatically to your month-to-month uh subscription most people that i have experience with are fine with that because once they get in there, they realize that it's really good and they, they, uh, they want to stick around. So, um, check it out. Don't take my word for it. Invest a dollar in it. Spend two weeks looking at it. See what you, what you like. And when you go, uh, use the re- reference code everyday Linux in the referral box to let them know that, uh, we sent you. Yeah. And Mark, you know, like I always do, I wait till you start talking to see what I can find online. And I found a, uh, course for linux plus and this is just a course and it's just to learn the linux plus exam and it's 90 dollars, actually 89 dollars. so if you wanted to do the month-to-month thing you could do three months and have access to the complete linux academy catalog for 75 dollars versus 89 dollars for one exam or for one course that prepares you for linux plus um i think if you you know, I would recommend people, you know, pay the dollar. And again, you know, I, I do want to kind of reiterate the dollar. You don't get full blown access to every single, um, nook and cranny of the uh, Linux Academy for the dollar. You, you get some videos and you can see what's going on. I think you will like it. Do one month and for $25, you can get in there and you can go through the courses and you can set yourself up and then you can see and then you're like, Dude, this is awesome. There's so much content here. I, there's no way I could do it all in a month or two. Let me pay for the year. $19 a month is what it averages out to be. And then if you invest in that, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, the thing is the Linux Academy isn't a high school. You don't have teachers calling your parents. Johnny didn't come to class today and he didn't watch his video. The Linux Academy is like college. If you go to college and you go to class and you do the assignments and you interact with your professor, you will learn. Same is true with the Linux Academy. You know, just because you pay on money doesn't mean you'll become a Linux professional. If you watch the videos, if you interact with the professors and the community, go through the study guides, you will learn it. I mean, you mean I have to take personal responsibility, Seth? How old-fashioned? I know. You know, I'm I'm sorry. It hasn't. Um, anyway, that would be on politics every day. I, <laughs> I, I I won't I won't start throwing dirt at uh, political parties and life decisions. But yeah, no. If if you invest in it, you will reap a handsome reward. You know, if if you just throw money at it and you just kind of sit back and you know it, it's World of Warcraft. Or, you know, words with friends or Facebook or angry birds. Um, and oh, let, let me watch this video while I'm over here chatting with five people on Facebook. You know, 
you're not going to get anything out of it. But if, if you invest in it, you will, you will be glad you did. There you go. And, uh, Seth, what happened this week in history? Well, this week in history, May 7th, 1943, May 17th, May 17th. I'm sorry. Uh, the U S army and the university of Pennsylvania sign a contract to develop INAC. Um, INAC stands for the Electronic Numerical, Numerical Integrator and Computer. This isn't the day it was built, but this is when the Army uh, contracted the University of Pennsylvania to kind of design and build it. And the reason I wanted to use this today is because without the government investing money early on, whether it be in computers or in the Internet, we, we wouldn't have anything. So you can look at the Internet today. And your tax dollars laid the foundation that allowed that to be birthed. Um, be, you know, th- no company was big enough to do that. It's kind of like whenever we talked about the uh, cable that was laid across the Pacific, um, you know, there was no company in the world that was big enough to do that. Five humongous companies, each take each corporate giants had to join together and, you know, and it almost bankrupted them until they got it finished and started seeing revenue from it. The same is true with the early history of computers. You know, this is long before, um, you know, Microsoft, before Bill Gates wrote, um, an operating system for IBM or long before was built something in his garage. They would not have been able to do that without things like this happening so yeah, and uh, the uh, the ENIAC the uh and the edvac are the the two that you learn about in your uh junior high computer history class or at least i did um right as, as sort of the two first uh modern computing devices the you know turing complete uh computing devices and and the ENIAC was created to to make targeting weapons more efficient uh, and quicker than a human could do it. Um, it was later repurposed uh, to do uh, other things, uh, but it ran continuously. It was created, uh, uh, turned on in 1946, ran till 1955. Um, how many computers do you know last 11 years? Uh, that's that's pretty good, and it cost half a million dollars to create. Uh, you know, we think of things now is taking uh, billions of dollars in R&D. Of course, half a million in 1946 was probably several billion by today's standards. Right. But this was no small thing. And again, uh, you know, as, as peace-loving as I am, the military was responsible for almost all of the technology we have today. Um, and uh, the ENIAC is where it all began, 1943. Yeah necessity is the mother of invention and when people are trying to kill you that necessitates a way to defend yourself yeah so um yeah anyway there you go this week in history just because i love talking about it all right and and this next this next news story is also the kickoff to the topic i wanted to talk about that tonight and you know it's one of those things that is no surprise guess what the free software foundation is mad isn't that sort of their job to get mad at something Yes, um, you know, Mozilla recently announced that it is reluctantly adopting DRM in its, uh, Firefox web browser. Um, it's kind of implementing Adobe's, uh, support for web-based DRM extensions. And of course, uh, the Free Software Foundation, you know, electrons want to be free. How dare you 
try to mandate a system where people have to pay blah, 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 you know, free software foundation. Uh, you're not giving software away for free. I don't know how you want to make money. I don't know how you want to eat, but dad gum it. I shouldn't have to pay for it. So, um, you know, and they rant. I mean, it's a great rant. You should, you should read the article. Uh, you know, I, we need to get them on here just so and we, we can set them up, throw them some softball questions and we can call it the rant episode or something yeah. because they do it well. Um, and so, you know, so basically Firefox is including, uh, um, Microsoft, uh, excuse me, Adobe's encrypted media extensions. They're going to support it, uh, in their browser. And okay. So this is maybe a stab in the back to, uh, freedom. I could see that point, but it also might mean that, uh, Netflix could come to Linux. Um, you know, and, and that's what this is. It's people who create stuff, whether you agree with it or not, you know, facts don't cease to be facts just because you don't believe in them. Whether you agree with it or not, people who create stuff want to protect that from being stolen. Um, and so, the media right now uh, a video is is the backbone of the web and probably will be for the foreseeable future anyway yeah because i mean let's face it before netflix got big it was porn porn right. used to be the number one thing online and now it's netflix right so uh, and so my, firefox mozilla specifically wants to be in on that they want to be uh in on the backbone of the web they want to be able to to bring you video as painlessly as possible and one of the ways to do that is to include these these uh digital rights management that the free software foundation calls digital restrictions management um it's the same way you know when you put a binary blob in the linux kernel the idea is to serve your users uh, in such a way as to make it a painless process for them. Yes, you have to be less free. Sure, it's not Stallman approved, but it is better for the overall experience of the end user. And that's what the that's the the um, decision, the the uh, conclusion that the uh, free saw that the Mozilla Foundation arrived at when they decided to do this. And they admit that they're reluctant. They don't want to do it. They would rather everything be, be free. But they're trying to to uh, to serve their clients, their users, and this is something they decided would be uh, in the best interest of everybody. So if you don't like it, that's fine. Don't use Firefox. Uh, go go somewhere else. The, that's the beauty of the web. There are options. But, but see, frankly, I thing. applaud it. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Firefox was the holdout. You know, Internet Explorer obviously has DRM baked in. Um, Safari, I mean, come on, Apple, you don't DRM, duh. Um, and... Uh, Opera, you know, granted, it, not many people use it, but it has DRM. Chrome, it has DRM. So Firefox was the holdout, and they realized, guys, we're the only ones who can't do services such as Netflix because of this. So we either can watch our user base continue to erode and become a non-entity and have no way to influence, or, you know, we can get on board. And so, you know... Yes, I would love for there to be no DRM, um, but that's not going to happen. Um, and it, unfortunately, the sad truth is that just having DRM doesn't necessarily protect because there's lots of ways to circumvent it. I understand. But the fact of the matter is, if there is DRM on the system, you have to actively attempt to get around it, you know, versus if everything is just free, oh, I'm downloading that. It's no big deal. So, Whenever DRM is involved, the impetus is on you to subvert the uh, 
producer's desire or the distributor's desire and will and actively break that versus just kind of passively saying so you know drm is there and again if people want to charge for things that's their right um you know you you know you got to have money to live in today's world because let's face it some things you just can't barter for you can't walk into walmart and say um i'll give you these four rabbit pelts for a (laughs) cart of food you've got to have money um and you know so I don't know, if, maybe in alabama you can do that okay maybe in alabama but you know I, I don't think in canton texas even though at first monday you could probably do that but you can't walk into a corporate store like a walmart and say i've, I've got this uh, buffalo carcass and i will trade you for an xbox one and a 42 inch plasma tv it's not going to happen you got to go sell that make some money and come give them because they don't want to deal with the buffalo carcass yeah it's funny you know i have young children and just this last week i was explaining the concept of money to them you know that's not something you grow up knowing somebody has to teach you that um and they know that we use this thing called money they they know that uh you know if they clean their room they can get a five dollar bill and they understand that they can use that for things but you know they they still don't understand where money comes from they don't understand that that daddy trades his time for money um and so it was it was an interesting discussion you know i i explained to them the barter system that you know in the old days before there was uh uh money uh people traded services or goods or something they had for something they wanted and then you know later they figured out it was it was more uh it was easier to carry gold coins around everybody thought gold was valuable even if you didn't think gold was valuable you knew somebody who did so you could trade your gold for something else uh and then later uh it became beneficial to mark your gold this is my the gold of my country versus the gold of another country so you started making coins then coins became too cumbersome and so you started using paper bills um and so i was you know in in the the best way you can explaining things to a five-year-old i was explaining sort of the history of of of, uh, of money, but it all comes down to in the end, I, I I'm trading something for something. You know, I'm trading my services, and the the money becomes the the end thing. And I don't know how we got on that, but I it just popped into my head, and I'm going to spit it out there. So Mozilla uh, Foundation wants to be in the game. They want to be trading things with other people, and right now. DRM is a means to that end. Now, I, I don't like DRM. When I buy a DRM pr- protected song from wherever I buy it from, Amazon or Google even, or, or the first thing I do is I burn it to a CD and then I rip the CD to an MP3 so that I have a DRM-free version of it so I can do whatever I want with it. Now, what do I do with it? Do I, do I give it to other people? Or do I put it out there on file-sharing networks? No. But I want to be able to put it wherever I want to be able to put it without asking permissions. When I get a DVD, the first thing I do is rip it to an MP4 so that I can do what I want to with it. Do I want it on my phone? Do I want it on one of my kids' tablets? Do I want it on my media center? I have that. I get to make those decisions. Uh, with with DRM in place, you know, I, I don't get to make those decisions. So I, I don't like DRM, and I do think it's more restricting than it is rights. But, you know, if... If Mozilla doesn't play this game, Firefox is going to become an also ran. It will be the browser of the Free Software Foundation and no one else. Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad there's a Free Software Foundation. You know, even if I think they go too far, they help 
they help bring the other side to the issues, um, you know, to kind of show where the other side is going and make you stop and think. Um, and so, you know, I, I think they go too far, but I'm glad somebody's out there going too far. And if mm-hmm. Firefox became the browser of the Free Software Foundation, there would be, what, 10 people using it in the world? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe 50 have it installed, but everybody would go, oh, I hate this crap. And uh, they would just go to something else. And so that that brings me to the topic, and I didn't really have a way to put it into words, but the question that I want to discuss, just it's another intellectual dis- discourse episode of Everyday Linux. Um, when do when do are you when are you a stakeholder? When do I have the right to complain? Um, so as a user of Firefox, do I have a right to complain about this? Am I a stakeholder? I, I I don't know the answer to that. I'm a user, but I, I'm not a. I don't I don't pay anything. It's not a paid product. Now I made sort of an impassioned speech a while back about how I earn Firefox money or Mozilla Foundation money by using the the built-in search tools uh, that that is their revenue source. Or right now, their primary revenue source that earns them lots of money. So I do contribute back to the Mozilla Foundation with my use by using the awesome bar and the built-in search bar with Google and that sort of stuff. Uh, but does that make me a stakeholder? Do I have a right to complain? And what about other things where I don't pay anything? Like, for example, I'm I'm running Linux on my laptop right now. I didn't pay for that. I don't significantly contribute to that in any way. Some might say that this show is contributing to the the overall open source. Some would say this show isn't nearly enough uh, open source. Um, but the question is, who? Uh, what makes me a stakeholder? When do I have the right to complain? And there are a number of things that, that brought this to mind. Our discussion last week with Roberto of Black Lab Linux, uh, where you know he, he's stuck between this rock and a hard place. The enterprise people don't consider him worthwhile unless he charges money. The uh, the open source zealots uh, want to burn him in effigy because he charges money. Um, you know, and and every week for the I'm not whining. I'm just explaining. Uh, every week for the fat, p- past few weeks, I've gotten at least one or two, sometimes several, emails complaining about some aspect of this show. Uh, and it, I'm not mad about that. You have the right to speak your mind. That's fine. And and I have the right to delete your email unread. Uh, but the the what what this whole thing made me think about is what defines a stakeholder. When do I actually have a right to be heard? I always have a right to complain. Well, I don't know. I always have the ability to complain, whether whether it's a right or not. But when when do I have to? When do I have the right to demand to be heard? If I'm uh, a uh, stockholder in AT and T, I can go to their stockholders' meetings and owning that stock certificate. I'm a part owner of that company. I have the right to be heard. Now my voice uh, is commensurate with the amount i've spent if i own one bazillionth of the company then i have one bazillionth of a voice uh but at least there's some right there but i don't there isn't anybody who owns gnu slash linux right the 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 kernel foundation manages the kernel but it's open anybody can take it and do what they want with it. they can make their own kernel they can do their thing nobody owns it so what at what point am I a stockholder? That's the question. Seth, what are your thoughts? No, you know, are you contributing to it in a meaningful way? You know, granted, I use Firefox. Um, 
I occasionally use the awesome bar, but not very often. So, I mean, I use it, you know, I'm going to websites in Firefox rather than Internet Explorer. So I am, you know, when when I work on people's computers, I always install the Firefox browser um, on there whenever I'm, you know, doing a fresh install of something uh, of it, you know, to get it back up and working because they messed it up. So I am contributing to brand awareness, contributing to market share, getting it out there. But I'm really so I think I have a, a small right to say, but I don't really help them pay their bills so much. So I don't know how much of a right I have. I mean, I'm I'm vocal about I use Firefox. I like it. I think it's much better than Internet Explorer. And I like the freedomness of it versus the closed nature of Chrome. Um, you know, unless you're doing Google stuff, then you just have to use Chrome or it doesn't seem to work right. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm I'm semi passionate about it. But as far as like, I don't know that I have the right to complain about it because I don't do anything with it. Um, you know, it, it, so. I think you have to, you have to be more involved than I am, than I am in open source to get, to make your voice heard. You obviously, you have, you can talk, you know, you can start a blog, you can start a forum, you can, you can, uh, you know, bomb, uh, forums with whatever you want to. But if all you're, if that's all you're doing, nobody's going to listen to you. If you are not right. contributing, in a worthwhile way, in some way that inconveniences you. Um, you know, it really doesn't inconvenience me to use Firefox, but I don't support the foundation. I've never given them five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever. So I haven't been inconvenienced in my use of them. So I don't really think I have a very, I'm not, I would not be guaranteed a very big microphone or a big megaphone to make my voice heard. Um, yeah, just take my personal experience. And again, I, I I can't preface this enough. I'm not complaining. I'm simply adding the the context that I can bring. Uh, I'm a content creator on the web, in the form of this show, among other things. Uh, but but let's let's leave it in the context of this show. So as I often say at the end of the show, I am your servant. I do this show for you, the listener. Um, and I I encourage you to. To let me know how I'm doing. If you have a compliment, I want to hear that. I want to know what you like and what I'm doing well. If you have a complaint, I want to hear that too, um, because that helps me um, understand the 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 pulse of my audience. Again, as I said, I do this for you. Seth and I can call each other up on the phone and discuss the news of the day anytime we want. We don't have to sit behind microphones and cameras that that cost a lot of money. We don't have to use bandwidth. We don't have to broadcast it to the internet to have these discussions. We do this because you are listening. That's the only reason we do this, to be honest. Um, Sure, we enjoy it, but we do it because there's an audience there. And the bigger the audience is, the more we're driven to do it. And yes, I do get a little money from the Linux Academy, but for the first two and a half years of this show, that was not the case. We did it entirely for free. Linux Academy decided they approached us. I didn't uh, approach them. They approached us because they liked our content. They liked what we do, and they thought that that we um, that our goals aligned. And they uh, agreed to throw me some money if I spoke uh, about them uh, for a while every show. I'm totally fine with that. But that amount of money isn't enough to make a significant dent 
in my life in any way. If Anthony gets mad at me and says, I demand you change your show or I pull your money, I say goodbye to Anthony because he doesn't, he doesn't own enough of me to, to, to change what I do. He can change that little block of his show and say, I want you to talk about this. I want you to talk about this. He has that right because he's buying that chunk of the show. But if he says, you know, I don't want you to have, uh, you know, I don't want you to talk about Android anymore. I don't care. He he can take his money and he can go away. The same way with a listener who says, I don't like that you talk about movies so much. I don't care. I'm sorry. I don't. You can, you can stop listening. You, you don't have a voice in that. But if I, if I hear from, you know, say I've got 5,000 listeners and 1500 of them all say, you're talking about movies too much. Okay, that I'm going to pay attention to. That's a big chunk of my audience who have all said that I'm doing something inappropriate or that is not serving the best needs of my audience. But one lone grumpy complainer isn't going to get a whole lot of of play, even if he's a very persistent grumpy complainer. Um, so th- that's that's where, you know, multiply that a billion times and you're Mozilla the numbers have to reach a point where they listen. So the free software foundation, for example, is nothing in the eyes of Congress, the U S Congress of, of the British parliament of the UN. They, they don't cons- con- constitute enough people to matter. Nobody cares if they're upset. Um, so at what point do you become a stakeholder in something that's totally free? At what point does Linus care what I have to say about the Colonel? I don't know. Well, I think this is really, this is a great discussion to have in the Linux community because there are people out there who are just, who are cheap. And, you know, and there's a difference between being a tight wad and just being cheap. Because if you're a tight wad, you don't frivolously spend your money. But if something's there and it's good and you want it, you spend it. But then there's people who just, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm going to wait until somebody comes out with an illegal hack and I can get it for free. And then I will use it. And that's the problem. You know, Linux is out there for free. And, you know, people don't want to, they're not going to get bigger because there's no money to develop it. Now, again, there is money. There are corporate sponsorships, but there's a large segment of the people who aren't ever going to contribute anything worthwhile to Linux because it doesn't cost anything. Um, you know, Hey, I've contributed to windows. I've bought, I bought a windows tablet, you know, that contributed to Microsoft because uh, I contributed to Asus because it was an Asus tablet. Um, you know, so I have a stake in Microsoft. I'm one, I'm one person. So my stake isn't that big. My other machines I bought have been used. Um, so, you know, it's the same kind of thing. If you aren't going to sacrifice something to make an impact, then you have the right to say, but nobody's really going to care. Um, there's an old cliche you know, nobody know, nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Hey, I, I joined this foundation. I contributed money to that. I'm passionate about it. I think it needs to go this way. 
hey, here's a pain. Here's a member who has paid the money to join up. Let's listen to what he has to say versus this person standing in the forums. Blah, it shouldn't cost, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of my view. The the open source community in general and the Linux community community more specific has the reputation of being a bunch of whiners. To a to a degree that that reputation is deserved, uh, but it's not just open source. The internet has a reputation of being a bunch of whiners and 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 jerks. Right? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> who who's made themselves public on the internet knows that that only jerks take the time to comment. Uh, and so you get the the impression that YouTube, if if aliens were looking at YouTube and deciding what kind of people live here, um, only idiots and jerks live on on the in the world because those are the only people who take the time to comment. And it was an interesting study uh, done recently uh, about why people troll. It's been talked about it on podcasts, and it's interesting that you know a certain percentage of them just get a thrill out of making people angry or upset. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a thing that they do, but you know, again, the, the question that I keep coming back to is, is at what point does it matter when people complain? Um, at what point does it matter that the free software foundation doesn't like Mozilla? Now, if what would it take for Mozilla to change their mind? about using these Adobe Media extensions. Would would their usage have to cut in half? And and people tell them what what would it take? And I guess that's the question. You know, if if you're going to if you're gonna make a stand about something you don't like, what's the most effective and efficient way to make that stand? Uh and again, this this like I said at the beginning, this is sort of a loose uh, thing that it's it's ideas still in my head that I'm not even sure I'm able to articulate. But the question comes down to when when do I matter as a user of anything, right? If I if I don't like my car, and I say to Ford, I'll I don't know a Ford, so I'll pick on Ford. I will never buy another Ford ever again. Do they care, really? And that's something that I paid tens of thousands of dollars for. But I'm just one. Now you take that to something I have paid nothing for. And I'm complaining, like, you know, before the show, we were complaining about the Google Hangout. I don't pay anything for this. This is an amazing piece of technology. And they're not even putting ads on it. I'm not even paying for it in that way. At this point, this is a completely free of cost service. So I feel like I don't have any right to complain about it. But at the same time, if if Google changes something and I don't like it, I mutter about it. I complain about it to myself. I don't go fire off an angry email. But that's the difference between me and uh, X percentage of the Internet who will immediately go fire off that angry email. And I, and well, I guess my question is, at what point is that the right thing to do? Yeah. And unfortunately, companies like that are so big that they honestly don't care. You know, like Facebook, Facebook, there's so many people on Facebook. You can't contact them and tell them you don't like something. You know, 
what do you put hashtag i hate facebook Ooh, well you know the only bad publicity is no publicity so um right you know it's like that you know they recently changed their uh, mobile app uh for ios and and that's my workflow and now in order to sort things by date it's like a five-step process now that i have and anytime you go away and come back you have to go do that process again i'm just like what the bleep I, you know, and so, you know, ooh, I'm now I'm not using Facebook as much. I don't care. Um, because it's too much trouble. Um, so I'm, I'm, you, I'm on it a lot less. Um, and so I don't know, but you know, again, I'm just one person. They don't care. Um, they don't care. And you know, the so, same thing. So is, is voting with your feet still the thing to, to do to go, to go somewhere else? You know, um, to to you know to boycott something is does that was a big thing you know let's really stretch this analogy and go all the way back to the the selma uh uh riots and and the bus boycotts that uh the civil rights uh leaders led there this was you know 70 to 90 percent of the people who use these bus lines started boycotting it that got attention that ended segregation on the buses, not because the bus line operators felt that it was immoral to make blacks sit at the back or to to give up a seat to a white. Whether they they changed their uh, their ethical standing or not, if they wanted to stay in business, they had to change their practices. So the world, I think, looked at that and said, "Look, boycotting works." Has there ever been a successful boycott since then? I can't think of one. Well, no, because you know, but now, well, I I don't know. It's especially you know I can only speak uh, from an American standpoint, and even in only a certain segment of the American population who is so well off that we honestly don't care. Um, you know, it doesn't, we have food and we're going to be able to get our food tomorrow. We have the internet and it might be a little slower, but it's still going to be there. I can still watch cat videos. I can still watch whatever the latest Netflix series is. Um, you know, I can still get all the sports I want and I can still tell people how awesome I am on Facebook. Uh, so honestly, um, I don't care. And whenever something does impact one of those, it's only very temporary. And so there's a moment of outrage but then it's like, oh, you know, this takes sacrifice on my part to make a point. I'm not going to yes. do it. Uh, and because people aren't willing to make the sacrifice, nobody cares. You know, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, I, it was a great cause. Bring back our girls. What did people do? They put hashtag bring back our girls. That didn't do anything. Nobody right. did anything. It, but it and what what was the term? Hack. Um, a Slacktivism. Hacktivist? Oh, slacktivism. I like that one better. Yeah. Slacker activism. You're not actually doing anything, but you're, you're throwing your name behind something. Yeah. And you feel better because of it. Right. Um, Right. And even though you don't actually do anything, you appear like you're doing something. And because people would rather appear like they're doing something than sacrifice and actually do something. That's what made the boycott work. People like, it would be so much easier to get on the bus and sit in the back and just keep on doing it and just say, I hate it. Um, you know, but instead I'm going to walk, um, you know, and maybe get beat because of it. Um, 
you know, they sacrificed for what they believed and that's what made it effective. You know, it's like, you know, I talked about Sonic last week. It's not really much of a sacrifice for me not to eat at Sonic. You know, I mean, I called and complained and I, I told them because it happened again, because it was the second time it happened. I didn't want them to waste their money sending me a free coupon uh, because I wasn't going to eat there for a while. Um, and, you know, I, so I'm not going to eat there, but it's not really that doesn't really cost me anything. So they don't care. I'm one person, you know, yeah. you know, a now, few, go ahead. Well, just going back to my what I was saying earlier about somebody sending me a complaining email. If they lead that email with, I've been a listener since um, episode one. I've been with you all the years and I, I am a monthly contributor, um, you know, I, I uh, on to your tip jar. That's going to make me pay more attention because I know this is somebody who's invested. Right. And their opinion matters more to me. Is that greedy capitalist pig of me maybe if if so then i'll I'll wear that that name badge but people i need to know how invested you are did you just start listening last week you heard something you didn't like and you fired off an email about it or have you been with me from the beginning and you watched me grow and and get better and and mature to this point and you're with me and you want me to continue to get better, and this is a bit of constructive advice, here's what I think would make this better, and I'm invested in that because I'm with you and because I want you to get better. I'm going to listen to that, even if it's just one voice, because that voice has weight. So when when you complain about your favorite Linux distribution in the, in the forums, maybe you should begin with, hey, guys, Great product. Thanks for your work. Been using it for decades. I have a suggestion or I have something that I would I think could be better. Just changing the context changes everything. But in the internet world, it's so easy to just fire off a gripe and be done that that too many times creators of things get Can you imagine what Mark Shuttleworth's email inbox must look like? <laughs> Man, I bet. he probably doesn't and, and so even read his going, email right so <laughs> who does he choose to listen to he doesn't sell a product he doesn't he doesn't there there aren't stakeholders there's he he started this thing because he wanted to give south african students something better than what they had so he's driven by his vision of that and if one of those or a group of those South African students said, look, Mr. Shuttleworth, what you're doing is not working. Unity doesn't work for us. I think he's going to listen to that. But if it's just me sitting behind a microphone bloviating about something I don't like because it used to be one click and now it's three, that doesn't matter to anybody. And it shouldn't, frankly. <laughs> no comment. Well, I mean, I you know, it's it's... Well, and unfortunately, there's so many people who, you know, I used, um, I used Ubuntu and then I went to, uh, Mint and then I went back to Debian and then I tried Fedora and then I went to, uh, Red Hat, uh, CentOS and then there's Ubuntu and, you know, I'm going to try something else next week and here's my problems with all of them. Right. Blah, the blah, 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 of the blah. week. Right. And so pick one thing. 
get involved with it, you know, and Linux is too big. There's too many options. Pick one distro that you like, pick one desktop that you like, you know, one, one package management system that you like and get involved in that contribute to that, you know, help clean up the forums, you know, quit, Quit saying RTFM, 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 you know, copy something else, put have a nice day instead, something constructive, something that will help people, you know, give a couple of bucks, Um, you know, don't, don't, you know, not fund your kid's college because you're doing that, but give a couple of bucks, get involved. And then, you know, in the course of the discussion, mention a couple of the things that you don't like. Rather than just puke up at once, you know, nobody's going to want to get near that stinky mess. But if you say one thing that you don't like, maybe there's a good reason that you just didn't understand why it has to be that way. And it's a way that you need to grow up, you know, but you've never listened. You've been too busy spouting off why you hate it to listen to why it's that way. Um, you know, so pick a thing. Talk about it. Um, and then uh, later, pick another thing. Talk about it. But talk about it and not bleep about it, which, yeah. you know, we're, we're good at bleeping about stuff and very bad about talking about stuff. But well, you mentioned you put fog in, in, in the thing, the update, because you know that I'm passionate about it. There's a good example. I, I discovered fog quite by accident. Uh, and was just blown away by the work that had been done on it. And I got involved with the project. I'm not a coder. I can't code things. But I am a user, right? And I had experience with it. And I, I got involved with it, and, and I happened to be a guy who had a podcast. Uh, and I contacted uh, Chuck Sapersky and Jim Jang, the guys who created it. Um, and, you know, I those guys... I have their email, their personal email addresses, and they have mine, and we correspond. We developed a relationship. And so after a while of that happening, when I had something weird happen, I didn't go to the support.fogproject.org, whatever. I sent Chuck an email and said, hey, man, here's here's what's going on. I think this code update might have uh, have caused this. Was this an unintended effect or, or what? And he, because we had that relationship, he looked at it, he trusted me and he, he said, oh yeah, that's, that's a thing. And then it was a, it was a bug fix, right? That's going to happen if you develop relationships with people. If you just whine, you become part of the, the background noise of the internet. Yeah. And it, and the background noise has to reach a crescendo for anybody to notice. Um, versus someone who has the relationship, dude, what happened yesterday? Um, you know, yeah. because yes, when I went to bed, everything was working. And then when I got up this morning, there was this weird blue color on my monitor. I don't understand, you know, that'll get you results. Right. Um, no, I, I don't, again, I, I don't know when to end this conversation because I'm not sure what the conversation is. But I'm gonna. I'm looking at the clock there, and we're approaching an hour and a half. Going to, so I'm gonna say that we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here. And and if I have a point, I'm not sure that I do. My point is get involved, become important. And I use Firefox doesn't make you important. 
um, we have this, again, I think this is largely an American mindset. The customer is always right. Because I am a customer, I am God. Um, and th- that has merit in some places. But even in the, the business world, that matters less than it used to. But when you were the quote-unquote customer of a free product, you don't, that doesn't make you always right. If, if uh, Mark Shuttleworth, and he's done it many times, alienates his users, it doesn't really matter that much to him. Steve Jobs was another example. And he's, he's a guy who was in business, right? He would alienate his customers and tell them, this is what you want. You just don't know it's what you want. And people would run screaming, I'm never going to buy another Apple product again. Fine. They were replaced by 10 other people went, oh, this is beautiful. This is what I want. So he built his whole career in life around not listening to anybody. And and it doesn't matter that Seth hates Apple at all. It's fun fodder for this show, but has not hurt Apple's bottom line in the least. In fact, he carries an iPhone. Right, because, you know, I mean, it's for work. So I don't pay for it, though. Right. So, But somebody does. I mean, right. you, that, that phone didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't free. So get involved. And involvement doesn't, you know, people, I hear that. That's one of the questions I get most often. How can I get involved in open source? How can I get involved in Linux? Communicate with real communications with people. Express your concerns in logical, well-thought-out, rational ways. Contribute. Answer questions you can answer. Ask questions until you can answer something. And then if you see somebody ask a question that you asked yesterday and you got an answer, answer it. That's how you get involved. Um, you know, and, and we had a guy on the uh, who sent an email. He and his wife desperately wanted to get involved. And they, they wrote in and said, what can we do? And they pointed, somebody just sent him a terse email saying, look at our needs site or, or whatever. He ran into one of the jerks on the internet. It happens. And oftentimes the jerks are the gatekeepers. Um, but you, you, you have to continue on caring. H- how do you matter? You show that you care. Like Seth said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Demonstrate that care in whatever way you can. Be the biggest evangelist for Firefox that the world has ever seen, and you'll get their attention, and they will listen to you. Build that relationship in somehow, in some way. Whining and abandoning doesn't build a relationship, ever. You did this, I hate you, I'm never going to listen to your show again. D- that does not build a relationship. It never has, it never will. So I guess in answer to my own question, when when do you become a stakeholder is when you've demonstrated that you're you care when you demonstrated you're on their side any thoughts seth no i I mean i totally agree you become a stakeholder when you place a stake in the ground you know you don't you didn't find a stake and you didn't find this stake stuck in the ground and said ah this is my spot you went somewhere you're like hey this is where i want to be i'm sticking my stake in the ground this is mine uh, you don't pick up your stake and move it somewhere else because you saw a bear walk across your property. You're like, this is my property. I'm going to put a fence up so the bear doesn't come back and kill me when I'm asleep. 
So what a great line. You become a stakeholder when you put a stake in the ground. Wow, that's good. That's quotable. Woohoo! Yay, soundbite. <laughs> what do you think, audience? And as I've told you many times, the best way to let us know what you think uh, is to go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button, and send uh, send us a message. Uh, if you want to skip that step or you're just out and about and, and can't get to a web easily and you want to send an email, edelementopi.com. Uh, or if you want to actually speak and be heard, uh, you can uh, give us a call at 559-IMOP. Or again, go back to elementopi.com and use the Leave Us a Voicemail widget. And let us know uh, what you think. Uh, I'm interested to hear. Did I did I stir up a hornet's nest? Does anybody care enough to respond to what I had to say? Are there stakeholders in this show who have a response to me? I would like to find that out. I would also like to find out what Seth has in his dev slash random for this week. Well, you know, we talked about the Godzilla movie. And so I changed. I was going to put something else. So I'm saving it for later. Um, when I watched Godzilla 1985 on VHS, there was an intro short called Godzilla versus Bambi. And, uh, I found it on YouTube and I stuck the link in there. So for your viewing pleasure, Godzilla versus Bambi, it is, it, it is not gross or sick in any way. It's very funny. You should watch it and laugh and share it. And it ends in the way you would expect it to end. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, I, I don't have anything else to say. Audience, thank you for listening. Literally, you are the reason that we do this. And and the, when I say thanks every week, I mean it. I truly mean it. I am grateful and humbled that thousands of people actually care what I have to say. The five people who live in my house with me often don't care what I have to say. But 5,000 of you do. And that that is humbling to me. And I appreciate it, and I thank you. And Seth, I thank you for the time you spend every week preparing for this show and and being the the uh, professional that you are. It means a lot to me. I couldn't do this show without you. Literally, it would be pretty boring. So thank you for that. And uh, on that word of gratitude, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Works. Mm-hmm.